Hi, I'm Shrey. And I'm Han. And you're listening to It Just Got Real. And in this week, we continue to get realer. Han, what's going on in your life? Well, a lot of things are going on in my life right now, but a moment it really got interesting was the Tuesday that everybody was posting the black square on Instagram. Oh, the black squares on mm-hmm. Instagram. And <laughs> I woke up that morning and I was like, do I do this? Do I not do this? What's the right thing to do? There's already like people saying that we shouldn't be doing this. There were so many, so many really fascinating deep conversations that were going on that day. That Tuesday was a lot. I mean, I personally posted and reposted and took it down and put it back (laughs) about four times before being like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm getting off the internet. So yeah, I at first like was like, I'm not doing this. And then I was like, "Uh, maybe I should do this. Then I was like, you know what? Fine, I'll do this, but I'm only going to do it in this particular kind of way. (laughs) Because obviously just posting a black square is meaningless. Like, you know, doing other things is more meaningful. And that day was just a lot. It felt like there was a lot happening on social media all at the same time. I don't know if anyone really realized how fast that black square situation was going to take off on Twitter. But the other thing that was happening that day as well is that the music industry was also trying to have a day for the show must be paused, which in essence is like a really cool and smart idea because the music industry has exploited and profited off black musicians for decades now. But the way that it ended up getting executed, unfortunately, was just like didn't totally make sense. And I woke up that morning to like an email from our PR company being like, what are you doing for the show must be caused? And then all this black square stuff. And there was a ton of stuff going on at work at the same time. And I just felt like every moment I had to grasp, I was like looking at Instagram or Twitter and trying to figure out what to do and which direction to go, not just for my own social media, but of course also for the company. And I think that is for probably everybody listening been a fascinating topic for the last week because we've all been absolutely like drowning in solidarity emails and messages and like so many things. And I know you have so many thoughts on that. (laughs) But before we get to the point where we were drowning in emails that Tuesday, we were still trying to figure out what to do. And the day before I'd had a comms meeting with my team. And this is like Three, two fairly junior members of my team, one more senior person, different backgrounds, um, but none of them black people, and trying to figure out how to manage this situation. Mm-hmm. And um, to their credit, like all extremely woke individuals with really smart things to say, and hats off to them for figuring this out because it was it was definitely a lot. But we'd spent a bunch of time together on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I was like pulling together the same meeting, being like, well, let's get on, let's get on Zoom right now. We got to figure this out. And about an hour into the meeting, we were trying to figure out like Instagram, what do we do on Twitter? Do we post the black square? Do we not? What do we do about the music industry thing? Do we feel aligned to it? We're not really a music company, but we do use music in our app, but like we're not a big record label. So that doesn't really make sense. Do we send a push (laughs) notification? Do we not? Do we do an email? What about a blog post? What's going on with the community? Let's talk to people. There were just so many things swirling that I was trying to grasp and make sense of and think about thoughtfully and authentically. And there was this moment where it just hit me like, there's no right answer to this stuff. There's no way 
that we are going to do this all like quote unquote correctly. Like that is just not going to happen. We have to be prepared for the fact that like, regardless of what we choose, somebody, maybe multiple people are going to be upset and there will be criticism probably. Mm. And so as soon as I said that, it was like, we all kind of took a beat and we were like, okay. (laughs) So now that we got like that out of the way. (laughs) Now that we know that somebody's going to think we're dead ass wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Now that we know that we are probably going to be wrong about something, let's try to take a breath and like figure out how to handle this in a way that feels true to ourselves and true to our company Mm. and not performative and not bullshit because there was a lot of that going on too. Mm. And I have to say, I was so proud of my team for what they came up with. Like, I think we really, in the end, did a good job. And um, we didn't actually have a lot of negative comments. And we ended up doing like very little messaging, I would say. But what we did do felt like us. It felt meaningful. And I think the things that were the most helpful to me in that moment was the community, honestly. Like, we were inviting more people into our Slack channel. We were talking to members of the community. We got really good feedback immediately on the videos and how we should be trying to protect people's identities. And this was, like, before that kind of, like, became a thing on the internet. And I was just so grateful for the creators on Trash for, like, telling us what's up and talking to them and being able to have that open conversation and relationship. So quick question just for people listening. What are the things that you ended up doing? Like you were like, no, we're not going to be in the show must be paused formally, but we do recognize that, you know, we built trash to democratize video editing. And this means a segment of our community is directly impacted by what's going on and has been impacted by what's going on. What were the actual things you guys end up doing? Yeah, great question. So We, at first on Monday, we had posted um, a series of videos on Instagram, and then we saw a comment on on them from one of our community members, actually one of the musicians in our community, Mm -hmm. and they said, oh, you can kind of see someone's faces in that one, like you need to be more careful. And so Mm. I immediately went to go talk to them in our Slack channel and got more info on it, and that's when I realized like, oh shit, we need to be way more careful. So we immediately took down the Instagram post, Mm -hmm. and we took those videos and we ran them through an app, which we were also writing a blog post on to make the identities less visible, as is sort of the guideline knits now, I think, online. Mm-hmm. And then we reposted it. And we also, when we reposted it, I reached out to the person who had made the comment. and was like, do you want to be mentioned on it? And they were like, no, not really. And I was like, that's cool. And uh, I put it back up. And we actually wrote in the caption, like, we took this down. We did this action. Like, thank you for the mm. feedback. And we put this back up again. Like, we explained the whole process. Like, yeah. owned it. You know, like, didn't try to, like, pretend like we hadn't. Mm. And at every step of the way, we were also pasting, like, the messaging back into our Slack channel to sort of check with people there, too. And I think mm-hmm. for, like, our community to see a company actually respond and, like, deal with it and, like, yeah. deal with it fast, too. Like, yeah. we did it, like, within, I don't know, 12 hours or something. That felt really powerful. Like, yep. it felt like we were listening. And then that was the most important thing to be doing in that moment. Absolutely. And, like, still celebrating people making videos because actually, like, Trash is a great tool for making videos right now, which is a really important thing to be doing as we document this historic time and memorialize the people that are doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. But we also have to be careful about it, obviously. Yeah. So then off the back of that, 
We also drafted a blog post, which I'm finishing editing right now, um, <laughs> to put out on a roundup of a bunch of different video tools you can use and just like how to be safe online and best practices for making video mm. because we are a video company. And so it makes sense for us. Like that felt authentic to us to be helping mm -hmm. the community and sharing resources. And um, in the end, we decided not to get involved with The Show Must Be Paused, even though I did reach out to a few friends in the industry and partners. And I got feedback, and I was trying to see if there might be a way to do it. In the end, what we decided to do is we were like, you know, let's just do like a cool post to our creators. And if there are any Black creators or Black musicians that want to drop their Bandcamp links or like album purchase links or cash app tags or like whatever in the comments below do that and then we'll just help amplify these voices. And actually today, right before we got on this podcast, I was literally like cash apping a bunch of people. So um, I love that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, we just decided to do that instead. It felt a little bit more like us and a little bit more our size and a little bit more like just giving straight to the community, which is really what this is all about. So yeah. um, in the end, those were some of the things that we did. And we haven't sent an email yet. I think we may about like some of the video tools because I think that's like a genuinely helpful mm -hmm. thing to get in your inbox. But um, I think that like- You're not like solidarity <laughs> shining in your emails. Yeah, like I don't need another solidarity email at this point. I think people need like helpful things. Wow. <laughs> so working on that, we might do that. And then we did in the end decide to, um, we haven't put it up yet, but we did decide to do uh, a channel because we thought that that could be like a helpful way for people too, to do like some tutorial videos about like, this is how you can take videos safely. Here's some best practices. Absolutely. And then also to put some cool videos into that channel to celebrate what is happening right now because there are some awesome protest videos that are being posted there's also just other great content to put in there too like mm. I'm seeing people post really beautiful photos on Instagram that are maybe of different eras or other movements or other revolutionary mm -hmm. moments and those are all beautiful artful images that are moving in this particular moment and why not do that in video as well yeah one of our partners, the um, the Internet Archive, I know they happen to have some really interesting footage of Black families living in America before they were really being documented as, like, home videos. Um, mm -hmm. There's some really fascinating footage in the Prelinger Archive, actually. Prelinger has some really cool things to say about it. Um, and I was, like, saying to our content and community manager, I was like, let's take some of that footage and, like, use it to create some interesting, like retro videos to celebrate this moment as well and put that in there potentially because this is a moment to um, to communicate and that is something the video can do. I really love your moment on so many levels. I want to sort of unpack a couple of things that you said. So one of the things you said as you were first coming to this moment where the big question that I think sits with particularly companies and companies of all sizes, you know, civic authorities, like, is like, you know, you should be doing something, you know, you should be vocal, but there's that balance between doing something because it feels like you should be doing something and actually caring in a meaningful way and your actions be authentic and reflective of that. So like, on the one hand, it's like you told your team, like, there's no right answer, but I think the actions you took show that there actually is a right answer. The right answer is to do the thing that's authentic and real 
and sort of in your lane, so to speak. You know, I'm hyped that like VCs are like donating to NAACP or whatever, but I also want to see them like donating to things that build a better pipeline Mm -hmm. for Black founders. Like I haven't heard shit from like LPs of funds. I've heard a lot of things from VCs, but not about LPs. And it'd be, I think the fact that Trash and you as the leader of Trash sort of said, you know what? Yeah, there's this big industry thing that in theory we should hop onto, but it doesn't quite feel right. And I don't quite know what the sort of authentic thing I have to add to this is. And we're like a seed stage company. So if we just hop onto this thing, like, what are we really even saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful. And I think anyone can relate to that feeling. I mean, like I said, I also was like, Post the black square, take down the black square. Post the black, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just a lot. And I think my question for you is sort of, how did you arrive at that? At the place where as a leader, you could be vulnerable with your team and be like, look, guys, anything we do is probably not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And how did your team respond to that? You know, it felt pretty natural. Like, I think with that crew especially, we've been working together for a while now, and we're all pretty able to talk to each other that way. Mm. I think that that openness and vulnerability and just having really direct, real conversations in our company is something that we actually spend quite a lot of time working on. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is a huge thanks to Karina, who's like my right hand in running the business and also like our team coach. Mm. (laughs) And having her teach people ways of doing this, active listening, how to ask open questions, I think we just have a lot of best practices. And Mm. also, I had worked in so many companies before this where, like, super cutthroat corporate environments, like, bro culture, tech startups. (laughs) Like, I have seen it all, okay? Like, I have been through every single scenario that you could imagine in a startup. Like, I've seen it. I've done it. I've seen the shock images in the channels. Like, I've witnessed all the things. (laughs) Like, I've pretty much um, been through it all. And... I think because of that, when I started Trash, I like really wanted to make it a place that felt safe Mm. because I had never worked somewhere where I felt safe, Mm. like physically or psychologically Hmm. for very good reasons. And so, yeah, I think we just spent a lot of time on it. And so in that moment, it wasn't actually that hard. And now that you put it that way, actually, thinking about some of the other places I've worked, there's like no way I would have been able to have those conversations (laughs) with team members. But I don't know. We're just all pretty real with each other. We're also a small team, you know? I just love that. I mean, I think that a lot of people think that company culture is something you're supposed to think about when you're some big team and you're already a big thing. But like you grow company culture from day one, Mm -hmm. literally even when it's you. Oh, yeah. Like, what is your value system? What is your, you know, and I think people think company culture looks like documents that say our values are and this is how they're implemented. (laughs) But the reality is, like, how do you relate to one another? What happens when there's a problem? What happens when the world is uncomfortable, let alone the thing we're trying to build? And how do we move in that space. And I think that what you did in this moment where there's a lot of noise and there is discomfort, which is brilliant and overdue, to be honest. Yes, absolutely. You said, you know what? I'm going to lean into this because actually we've created a space 
within our small team to be able to do that. I think that's like, there's something to be said for that. And I think the other thing you did that I sort of want to pull out for those listening is, I don't know, you know, if you're building anything that's like involving community, and I think in this day and age, almost all businesses should have some element of community anyway. I think that's just where we're going as a society. But if community is core to your business, I think sometimes doing the business of the business, you get into this idea that like you should be coming up with a solution. Like the measure of our leadership success is like our ability to solve all the problems ourselves. And I think what you did on Instagram with the video and taking it down and asking the person who made the suggestion if they wanted to be cited in the repost was a really, really powerful acknowledgement of their agency. Mm -hmm. That's important for two reasons. One, it's almost like reviews, right? If someone tells you your service is great, if they didn't leave it in like a review format that said they wanted to be acknowledged, it can be sticky sort of being like, this person said it, you know, because you didn't really ask them. And I think you took an approach that was about like their agency, but it's also relevant for this larger moment we're in where I think agency for me as a Black woman, like it's something that I don't always feel like I have. Sure. I mean, that's what people are fighting for Exactly. So for you to be like, yes, I want to recognize that this person is the reason we took a different decision and sort of changed the way we put this out there. I want to make sure this person has agency in being attributed because maybe for them it wasn't about being added on Instagram. It was actually about creating the change in how you were going about that post. Yeah, exactly. And when I talked to them, that's what they said because they actually didn't want to be cited Mm. specifically because of like oppressive algorithms, Mm. which I totally get. Mm. But I was really glad that I asked, like, do you want to be cited? They were like, no, here's why. I'm like, totally makes sense. And they were just happy that we fixed it, you know? And that was like a really good interchange in that moment, I think. I love that. I mean, I think, you know, we had had some conversations about comm strategy, social media strategy, tone. And I think everybody is grappling with this. Even in Black-led companies, we're grappling with this. Like, I'm in a few different conversations with other funded Black tech startup founders. And even in our own companies, like, we're still dealing with messaging. Mm -hmm. We're still trying to figure it out. Shit, over the weekend, there was a situation where a protest was organized in Ghana, one of the places that Tastemakers works. And our head of community in Ghana went to the protest. But apparently, the protest didn't get permission from the government which is like an interesting idea, right? Because the whole point of civil disobedience is the disobedience part. Mm -hmm. So so like it was interesting to even hear the story center on this idea of like the protests wasn't approved. Hmm. But what was interesting about it was the Ghanaian government who had just did this whole big year of return thing Mm -hmm. had put out a statement. Even the president of Ghana had like wrote about like Black Lives Matter on Facebook. But then when it came time for people to be in solidarity, the government sort of came down. Mm -hmm. And even though they weren't as oppressive as sort of our police here, like, the point was, like, they were down to put the protest down because it wasn't approved. But then speaking out against police violence in America. And it was kind of like, the point of this, yes, is racism. And 
police violence and all of state-sanctioned violence, but it's also about people's right to gather. Like, that's one of the major challenges with the protests now is, like, police forming lines across public streets. And it's like, they have the right to gather without agitation. And then to see in Ghana, like, the basic principles of what's going on here not exactly understood. And, you know, a president of a country sort of being like, Black Lives Matter, except don't protest about this in Ghana. (laughs) Even till today, I'm still, like, figuring out my statement on that. And so it's not easy. Yeah, that's complicated. Yeah, it's not easy for anybody. Mm -mm. And I think we are in sort of cancel culture central, Mm -hmm. which makes it even harder. I mean, it is a slippery slope, but I think you all operated with integrity and you all operated with authenticity. And I think that's definitely like a takeaway for the show. I know I'm like prematurely doing one of our takeaways, but... (laughs) That's definitely one. I think that's it, though. You just have to take a breath, look deep inside yourself, and be like, what do I feel like is makes sense here? What do I feel like is authentic? And I think really getting comfortable with the fact that, like, it's not going to be perfect. There is no such thing as perfection in something like this. Like, by nature, it is going to be messy. And, I mean, that's something I even think about coming on this cast. Like, We talk really openly to each other. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get it right all the time. Mm -mm. I'm sure some people listening to this are going to be like, what the hell did she say? That's, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, that's going to happen. But you can't do something like this without ruffling some feathers. Right. I'm a big believer in this idea of breaking, like, you have to break some eggs to make an omelet. Mm -hmm. Like, that's one of my favorite sayings because I think— in any situation, mm-hmm. to me, the wrong thing to do is nothing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the right thing to do is, to me, what you did. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, we're talking about sort of right and wrong. I want to know if you're down to like talk about some of the interesting, like, what? Uh, record scratch moments that happened this week. And I think some of them have to do with this idea of right and wrong. Yes, please. So I know you've been drowning in solidarity emails and also maybe swipes, and I really need to hear about this. So first, (laughs) I'll talk about the solidarity swipes because even though they're not a record scratch, they're funny as hell. Like, there's definitely been an uptick in, like, the number of white dudes in my hinge. Really? Yo, it's dead serious. Wait, but, like, what are they saying when they swipe? Are they, like, Black Lives Matter? No, 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 no. I'm so glad they're not because that that would actually be be so levels of horrible. Like, I don't even know what I would do, but I, <laughs> I've i just been like, this is a disproportionate number of swirl in my hinge. Interesting. <laughs> and I just think, I don't know what that's about, but I feel like it's a solidarity swipe. Are they saying anything or is it just, are they just like the swipes with no comment swipes? No, they're not leaving messages. They're just like liking and being there idly. They're just looking at the top picture and swiping. Which is lazy <laughs> as hell. So I'm like, if you're going to, if you're going to solidarity swipe, at least say something. Like, huh, that's what? so strange. Has that happened to anyone else? I don't know. Maybe that you guys listening, weird. like y'all got to tell us if you've gotten any solidarity swipes. <laughs> In your dating apps. Like, I literally want to know. So please at me. I want to (laughs) know. I want to (laughs) know. At Got Real Pod if you've, you know, had some solidarity swipes in your dating apps. Like, we have to know. So that was definitely a thing. Um, Other record scratch moment. I'll let you go first and then I'll talk about 
another one. Well, mine is a little bit different, but I guess, I don't know, same kind of vein. Um, we were accepted as like a semi-finalist for, or a finalist rather, for the Midem, which is this huge music conference slash festival that happens every year in Cannes, France. And this year, of course, it was happening uh, virtually. And I pitched, and you have to give a two-minute pitch in our category. It's really difficult to give a two-minute pitch. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to have that tight. Like that is a very fast story. Mm -hmm. And I practiced it like multiple times, had it totally down, beautiful slides. Like, you know me, I'm a designer. Mm -hmm. My shit looks good. I'm good at public speaking. Like it was a good pitch. And everybody else was like, I don't want to be like throw shade, but like they didn't practice as much. Like it was not as organized. <laughs> no and shade, but John. It was try. just one of those things where like you know when you like walk away from something and you're like, I aced that. I was definitely the best in the room. Like nobody came even close to mm-hmm. me. Like I'm a pretty modest person. Like I'm not trying to sound full of myself, but like there's that feeling when you just know mm-hmm. you're like, okay, you're like, I did. I that. was levels above everybody else here. Anyway, a few days later, this was like later this week, we found out who the winners were. And I saw this super annoying tweet that was like, yay, the winners. And it was this Zoom room full of white guys Mm. with their hands up in the Mm -hmm. air. And I was so annoyed because I was like, first of all, why the hell didn't I win? Because I was clearly the best in our category. Oh, the guy who won is the guy that didn't have his presentation put together. The judges had to cut him off at the end because he couldn't finish what he was saying and also hasn't launched his product yet. Cool. But also, I remembered how at the beginning of that, the organizers are saying to us like, oh, look at this. This is such a diverse year. There's more women in this finalist batch than we've ever had before at Midem. But then look who won. Shame. Like, this is just ridiculous. And I was just pissed off. You know, it's a tiny thing. It doesn't matter. It's just some dumb contest. But it does matter. But it was fucking annoying because I was better than that guy. (laughs) And like, how... Much more do I have to show up better than the guy next to me to still not get ahead of him? And I know you feel that like 10 times even more than me, so I shouldn't even be complaining right no, now. Okay. But you should also complain. <laughs> it is annoying for everybody. It's annoying for everybody <laughs> to feel like. It is annoying for everybody who is not a white man. Basically. I mean, this is a thing. And I think in that situation, it's kind of like, well, why did you guys make this big brouhaha? About like I know, right? But it's also like that saying that I've heard so many people say, like, like what does equality look like? Equality looks like me getting the level of success of a mediocre white man, like by being mediocre. Like if I can just do that, I'll have come very far. <laughs> like, because I think that's what you felt. Like you Absolutely. felt like this dude was mediocre and I came with it and somehow he still was in the winner circle and that doesn't make any sense. And I think you can be objective and know you did well. Yeah. Like, I think that's a thing. I think you can. I think it's important to do that kind of stuff sometimes. Okay, one more record scratch. So I don't know. I mean, we're all sort of on the internet 24-7 because, well, actually, two more record scratches. I'm sorry. This is like a record scratch week. (laughs) So there's this image floating around right now that is of the U.S. House of Representatives and in particular Democratic Caucus. And it's like... Nancy Pelosi and a bunch of other congressmen and women. And they're like, you know, kneeling in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, anti-racism. And they have these like kente cloth graduation stole situation going on. And people are clowning them. Now, Mm -hmm. I can't front. When I first saw it, it was a lot. Because like, Mm -hmm. 
you know, media sensationalizes it. So the first image I saw was like the angle where you couldn't even see black congressmen and women in it. So it looked really bad. It looked like, why are all these? Yeah, no, that image is, and it's like shot really low and like the way it looks on the floor, like it's just pretty over the top. The image is a lot. Yeah. But then I'm probably going to be, you know, in the minority here, but I actually, so background, this August, Nancy Pelosi, alongside the Congressional Black Caucus, led a delegation to Ghana in honor of the year of return. Mm. And something that happens in Ghana, especially when like large, important groups of people come to visit, is they're granted these like kente stoles. Mm-hmm. Like it's a thing. And so this is what I thought. And like maybe people think like Congress isn't, you know, this woke and and, and meaningful. But in my opinion, I felt like them wearing the kente was sort of acknowledging the fact that like the George Floyd moment is not like the moment. This is 400 years of bullshit that's been happening in this country. So something to me, like, that's how I felt when I saw it, because I knew that Nancy Pelosi and crew were just in Ghana in August. I knew they got those stoles from Ghana. I knew they went from year of return. So in my opinion, it was definitely, like, authentic and legitimate. Mm -hmm. But because of the world we're in and the image was just a lot. Like The image is a lot, yeah. It was just, it, it was so, it was like they were in a Solange video. Like, you know, they're like. <laughs> they actually like, kind of looked like that. Didn't they have a, I'm like, pretty sure Solange I saw Solange vibes? do a dance like that at AfroFest a few weeks This was it. It, it looked Afro like a Solange video. And so that's where it's like, damn, like, and this thing was probably highly intentional. And I'm sure a few Black people were consulted yeah. when they did it. Yeah, probably. I mean, there were Black people with them. Yeah. There were Black elected officials. But they still got dragged to the floor. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. That was very wild to me. So is people in the South not believing in coronavirus, which was basically my entire drive from New York to Florida. <laughs> like, once I got past North Carolina, people were literally coming up to us at the gas station like, why are you wearing a mask? Take that mask off, girl. Wait. Really? They were telling you to take O-D. the mask off? O-D. O-D, Han. Like, almost what? mocking us. Oh, my God. We better get ready for, like, a second wave of this shit in the fall. This is not good. People in the South are not here for corona. Like, it is like they just decided, corona's over. We're done. We're, we don't believe this. And, like, have moved on with their lives. Like, seriously. Past North Carolina... Nobody's wearing masks. That's except wild. at Whole Foods. I mean, it's still a problem in so many places. It's the wild, wild west in the southern United States, at least on the East Coast. I don't know about the West Coast, but in the East Coast, they're just out here living their best lives. That's it is not New York <sighs> or California. It is a different world. I mean, so yeah, it was wild. This is terrifying. Like communities are still being devastated by this. Like just mid-May, it was reported that the Navajo community surpassed New York in terms of the scale of deaths. Damn, that's horrible. It is horrible. It's actually, like, startling and awful to read those articles because also the state of healthcare in those communities is not the same because a bunch of reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, really, really sad. But that was reported, like, mid-May. This was only, like, a couple of weeks ago. Mm. People should put on some masks. What the hell? They're not. They're, like, out of sight, out of mind. This is not my thing. So, Hmm. I mean, there have been a lot of record scratches this week, but there are also other things going on in the world. You were telling me 
about some cool documentary situation that's coming out that I think our listeners would love to hear about. Yeah. So if you want to check out a cool documentary, uh, Tuesday, June 16th, there is a pretty cool um, online event happening for the Marion Stokes Project, which is a really cool film about Marion Stokes, who recorded as much American television as you could probably ever record, like 24 hours a day for 30 years or something like that. Like I think over 70,000 VHS tapes, everything, revolutions, wars, regular news, whatever was happening. Mm. And um, the conversation is going to have the director and the producer and a few people from uh, involved in the film talking about it. I found out about it through the internet archive, um, who I love. And I'm just really fascinated to find out more about this. You can also watch the trailer online on YouTube if you just uh, check out Marion Stokes or Recorder is the name of the film. But um, yeah, it looks really, really neat. I mean, when you sent me the link, I definitely thought it looked cool. I also like that was visionary. I mm-hmm. mean, particularly in the time period, I had never even heard of this woman before you said it. So I'm like super excited about any person that has the forethought and foresight to know that like American media's evolution is going to be something that people should see minute for minute. Yeah. I'm reading now. It was between 1975 and her death in 2012. Wow. So long before the era of fake news. Yeah. But she was an activist who believed that one day that this would be valuable. I love it. And she's also a black woman. So shout out to her for being like, this is a thing. Like I just... I don't know. I'm super excited about it. All the dynamics that I saw in the trailer. I'm like, I got to watch this. So come to the event. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be Maybe there we can drop it, it on our on our Twitter. Mm-hmm. What else is happening in culture for you right now, Sheree? Any good music? Good music. Yes. I discovered her mm. and a whole bunch of other like very interesting like R&B but like non-traditional folks on my drive from New York to Florida. Mm. But I think bigger than that, from a culture perspective, is learning that my 11-year-old son is, like, all about the musical life. Because we basically did that for four hours on our ride. And it brought me joy, even though you hate musicals. I love them. (laughs) You know how I feel about musicals. (laughs) I know. We even did Rent, like, and full out sang it. He's partial to The Little Mermaid. Like, Broadway edition Little Mermaid, not the Disney soundtrack. And... It was a vibe. And that for me was like, this was this was a moment. So that was actually even more interesting than the music I discovered. That's really cool. I had another music discovery this week. So I actually wanted to ask you about this, Sheree, but around the time of George Floyd's murder, of course, everybody was talking about him and what happened, but I didn't find out until like probably like a week and a half or maybe two weeks later that he was also a musician. What? I'm today years old when I found this out. There's this article on Pitchfork. Apparently, he was known as Big Floyd in Houston, and he, like, rolled with DJ Screw and the Screwed Up Click, and there is some of his music on the internet. You can actually listen to it on YouTube. What? And it's really good. And the other thing about this whole article is just, like, it goes into depth about, like, so they interviewed one of his old collaborators Mm -hmm. about working with him, and he just sounds like this guy that was just so positive and, like, was helping so many other young rappers come up and was really supportive of them. They, like, cite this phone call that he had with this guy when his grandmother passed away. And it's just, like, 
it's absolutely heartbreaking. But also the other thing that was like going through my head when I was reading it is like, why did it take like almost two weeks for me to find out who the person was behind Mm. the moment? And like, it really made me think about how, unfortunately, like, I think sometimes the the lives of these people are not as reported on or something. Yeah, he was a whole person. Yeah, like he's a whole guy. But we know him like as a he's, hashtag. I mean, he's absolutely a symbol, but also like this, his life and this music and like his friends. Like reading about this, I was like, why didn't I? Why did it take until June fifth for this to come out? That's real. I mean, that's definitely. I thought that when I saw his daughter, um, I have a friend Julie. Uh, who's actually over at Airbnb, and she is from Houston. Even on my family Zoom yesterday, I found out that, like, my aunt knows George Floyd's, like, whole family. Really? And I was like, in these moments, like, we forget that these are whole people. Breonna Taylor was a whole person. She was funny as hell. Like, she was an EMT worker. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that. Like, I love that you discovered that. I didn't know that. And I think one thing we can do is sort of be curious about the whole person, you know, because I think it also allows us to sit with their humanity when they're taken from us in ways that they absolutely shouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm definitely going to do my Googles after the show and check it out. Um, Speaking of after the show, we probably should sort of remind some folks of the things we think were important. I think I'll start us off. I think the number one thing from your story earlier was really about there is a right answer and the right answer is to be authentic to yourself, to your company, to, you know, the people that follow you when you're making decisions, particularly in this time, but in times where things are sticky in general. The wrong answer is to just follow along with what everybody else is doing, for sure. Yeah, that's a good takeaway. Um, I think another takeaway is like, Really lean into the conversations as uncomfortable, as weird or hard as they might be, like talking to friends, talking to your colleagues, talking to your community. Like I am so thankful for all those people in my life because there's no way that I would be able to arrive at the answers that I chose without their help. Mm. There's just no way. I think a third one is sort of maybe building on that and it's something that you didn't say specifically, but was what you were talking about, which is like, the building blocks for the culture of your company and its integrity start like at day one. Building those building blocks are really the foundation for being able to successfully navigate a moment like the one we're in. I think that's something you did and you had, and that was really, really important. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, like just to close that out, the most important building block is is yourself. Mm. I remember once someone pulled me aside in like my first sort of leadership role and they were like, you know, everyone's looking at you all the time, right? And I was like, what? They're like, they're watching what you say. They're watching what you write down. They're watching when you look at your phone. They're watching whether you look interested or distracted in meetings. They are watching you every single moment of the day. Mm. And that kind of freaked me out, but it was also like a really important thing to hear because it's true. Like the minute that you're in a position of other people noticing you, they are noticing all your shit. So your shit better be tight because (laughs) that's the beginning of where the culture comes from in a company. Or you better be honest when it ain't tight. Mm -hmm. Which comes back to working on ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of always what it comes back to. I feel like 
<laughs> kind of always what That's it comes the unspoken down to, right? takeaway of every damn episode of our show. <laughs> so if you're not getting that by now, like that's definitely a thing. <laughs> well, I think that's a wrap. I think so too. Thank you so much for listening in today. And please hit us up on the internet. We'd love to hear from you. I especially want to know about more solidarity swipes. Mm-hmm. So you should find us at Got Real Pod on Twitter or Instagram. And we're excited to learn more about you and ask you questions and maybe even discuss them on the show. Ciao.